You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Open up to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be primarily there, but we'll be in a few other spots. We'll be being, we've been going through the book of 1 John for quite some time now. I don't even know how long we've been going through 1 John, but uh, it's been, been a while. Um, recently wrote a short devotional for our church family to kick off the, the new year called Watching, Waiting, Ready. This was based on a real warning that I gave our church a few weeks back, just really feeling like the Lord is preparing us. He was giving us a, a gift of a warning for um, what he's seeking to do in, the church, in, the, in our church community uh, in the, the seasons to come. And so I wrote this short devotional to rally us in this new year around that theme of watching, waiting, and ready. And so um, this is available this week and the next week's following out in the lobby, grab one, um, stash it away until closer to the new year. And this is going to really accelerate us into the new year united together as a church family, um, gathering around similar passages of scripture. Each day in the devotional has a passage of scripture, a short devotional giving a charge or giving um, some teaching and then a space to, to journal a little bit and uh, to write, write some thoughts to the Lord, to write prayers to the Lord. And so I feel like this will unite us and it will uh, hopefully even just encourage you in your own uh, intentional walk with the Lord as we begin the new year. The new year is uh, just a, a ripe time for us to kind of recalibrate a bit. And so specifically that first week in January, we will be having a week of prayer. It's one of my favorite weeks of the entire year because we gather every single night of the week, January 1st to the 5th, Monday through Friday, we gather here. And you know, it's not possible 365 days of the year, but there's one week in the year where we say we're gonna gather every night as a church family. And, uh, and we do that the very first week of the year and it kind of resets us. It, it gets us going in the right direction to kick off, a, a, off, a, off in a new year, and it's a beautiful, beautiful time of waiting on the Lord, seeking the Lord, and it's for the entire family. We have discipleship that week for kids, for youth, uh, and for obviously all the adults will gather in here. It's going to be beautiful. So mark your calendars, January 1st through the 5th. Okay, let's look at, I need to turn there. First John chapter 4, you're all ready. Um, We are going to talk about our need for the Holy Spirit. Will you tell your neighbor, I need the Holy Spirit. Spirit. We need the Spirit of God in our lives. We, we, We cannot do this Christian life without the Spirit of God. We need God's Spirit. Um... We cannot pursue him just through reason, just through mental assent, just through intellectual, rational thought. Uh, We need the spirit of God to lift the blinders from our eyes, to see things rightly, specifically to see the Lord rightly. We're dependent on the spirit of God. And we're gonna see that this morning. I have a short message for you, which is, I'm probably setting myself up for failure by, or, you know, setting myself up for failure by saying that as a pastor, because you're all uh, leery when a pastor says a short message. But this passage of scripture is, is kind of, in my summation, the, the climax of this book. We've been going through this book for a number of months now, 
of the book of 1 John. And I believe this passage is the climax of the book, and so I feel like it's worthy of two weeks. And so there's part one, which is this week, and then next week I will finish it up. But, um, but, I, but I believe for us to understand uh, the, the real climax of this book, we need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God to lift the blinders from our eyes for us to see the Lord rightly. 20 years ago, I had LASIK eye surgery. I had, honestly, my entire uh, early years of life, I had really bad eyesight. And um, once I reached my adult years and my, my eyes stabilized, I was able to have LASIK, I qualified to have LASIK eye surgery. And, and it cured me, 20-20 vision to this day. Yesterday morning, my brother made a joke because we were out hunting and I spotted the deer before anybody else and it was because of my laser vision. Um, <laughs> It's 6.30 before the sun was even up. You know, I was spotting the, spotting the deer. But, but in a very similar way, Holy Spirit comes and cures our vision, cures our eyesight, spiritually speaking. Uh, we cannot obtain faith without the Spirit of God. We cannot obtain a right view of the Lord without the Spirit of God. And so in the West, in the post-Enlightenment West, we like to think that we can... Um, do this thing called Christianity or faith purely through our intellect, but we can't. We need the Spirit of God. We're dependent on the Spirit of God. And that's, that statement is not an anti-intellectual statement. No, the Lord wants us to love him with our minds, but that cannot be detached from the Spirit of God. We're dependent on the Spirit of God. And uh, we're gonna, this morning, talk about one of the primary roles of the Spirit of God in our life. So, Buckle up, let's go. Let's read 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says this, beloved, which remember that's been a common, a common term of endearment that John has used to these believers. Beloved, let us love one another. As we're going through this, take note of how many times John says the word love. It's 27 times specific, very specifically, but just take note of this. That is the primary theme of this, this passage. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or atonement for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know God and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. There it is again. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so also, we, we, we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. 
And whoever fears has been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have, from, we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So here in the climax of 1 John, we have this beautiful uh, exaltation of what, what is the greatest thing that we can encounter in our human life, which is the love of God. It is the, the reason for which we are created, to experience the love of God. You were created for that. And we see this beautiful expounding on the love of God, of which we are going to talk about next week. Because I want us to understand the context of this great um, articulation of the love of God here in 1 John. Because none of this is, uh, should, should be understood just in isolation, in a vacuum. But it should be understood in the context of the entire book since we've been in this journey through 1 John. We might as well still treat it with reverence and in proper context, if you remember in this book of 1 John, there has been yeah, beautiful already articulations of the love of God, but there have also been very sobering warnings of falling into deception. And what he says here in regards to um, kind of false believers, those that say they love God but, but hate their brother, they're a liar, that's not unique to this passage. That's a common phrase that John has been using throughout his book. He's calling out these ones who are liars, these ones who say they are without sin. You know, the, the, these ones who say they, they, um, they know God, but they don't follow his commandments. These are what he says are liars. So John here, throughout his book, is calling out deceptions that people fall prey to. Because in it is rooted this utter dependence on the spirit of truth, as he called it just a few verses prior. The spirit of truth, which is the spirit of God. So I'll just give you kind of a summary leading up to this, um, leading up to this passage that we just read. This whole uh, expounding on the love of God in this climax of 1 John didn't come out of nowhere. He's been building up to this. In both his inter terms of endearment, he would use these, these terms for the believers he was writing to, the beloved as little children. John so experienced the love of God himself. He was, he was considered the disciple that God loved. Uh, he had this special connection with the Savior in bodily form here on the earth. He encountered firsthand the love of God in such a way that now what exuded from him to the people he ministered to was a tangible love of God. So much so that here in his later years, he still thought of these believers that he had sowed into, he thought of them as the beloved, the ones who are so loved by God. If they could just know the love of God, if they could just know how God sees them, if they could just know how much God loves them, so 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he starts to preview this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. So we are. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So this is not in isolation, what we, we read later in 1 John chapter 4. 
He was already beginning to preview. This is the call on every believer. We encounter the love of God as children of God. Now that is our, the mandate upon our life, the standard for our lives, to love others as well. A few verses below that, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So he's building to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. The articulation of Jesus as the, as the de facto reality of love, come, God coming in the flesh, is the, the de facto standard of love, and then it comes to what we read in 1 John chapter 4. But if you've been tracking with this book with us over the last number of months, um, there have been scattered throughout this book sobering warnings of receiving the love of God uh, either wrongly or not being dependent on the spirit of God to discern things rightly. And so he has this burden. John has this uncanny burden, unmatchable burden for the church to be discerning in these days. Uh, And this is our need for sure for today. So I'll just give you a um, kind of a summary, a flyover summary of where we've been just to show you that, just to prove to you that I'm not pulling this out of thin air. First John chapter one, verse six, it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. John is burdened for these believers to receive the gospel rightly, for them to receive it with a humility and a tenderness and then to begin to walk it out dependent on the spirit of God so they don't fall into deception, so they don't fall into lies, so they don't fall into error. So throughout this book, there's this continual warnings, continual um, uh, teaching on being discerning and not falling into deception. Just two verses after that, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. These are on the screen. Um, Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And he continues to go on and on in that way. You can go back and kind of survey over everywhere we've been in 1 John, and you can see there's these continual warnings. Don't be deceived. Don't be a liar yourself where you say one thing and your life exemplifies something altogether different. Rather, be dependent on the Spirit of God. And that brings us to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. We are dependent on the Spirit of God. Look at verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. He is referencing something he heard firsthand from Jesus himself. That we cannot receive the kingdom of God unless we have been born again. Unless we've been born of the spirit. And so he knows, John knows, that the only way he can call people to this level of self-effacing, self-sacrificing, selfless, Christ-like love is by them experiencing for themselves a born-again experience, a, an experience with the Spirit of God where they come into new life. And so, first truth for this morning is we need to be born of God. We need to be born 
again. We need to be born again. If we're going to receive the love of God and not fall prey to deceptions and hypocrisy, he's calling out hypocrisy throughout this book. When he's saying, liar, 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 pants on fire. There's actually one more liar statement. You can go throughout all the first John and, and just highlight all the places where he says you're being a liar. There's one more statement. It's all throughout the book. Because he's burdened for the believers to really step into uh, the realities of the gospel, the realities of what Christ gave himself for. And so we need to be born of God. Turn uh, to John chapter three. So we'll just look at John's account of the gospel. John chapter three. So this is what John is referencing what he heard firsthand from the Savior himself, from Jesus himself. This is what he was testifying of. This is what he was, uh, had such a conviction that every person needed to experience for themselves. You can't think your way towards God. It's only by God. It's only what we receive from him, by the Spirit. And this is what Jesus himself said to Nicodemus, one who knew religion. Nicodemus knew religion of the mind, religion of um, memorizing scripture and, and through just rational thought, finding your way towards God. But Jesus pierced through that here in John chapter three and he said this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, meaning born in the flesh, born as a baby into this world, so check that, <laughs> but and born of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we need to be born again. There needs to be another experience. You need to be human, okay? But then you also need to be born of the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's something altogether different. Do you not marvel that I said this, that said this to you, that you must be born again? The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There is this real mystery that defies our minds, which is the born-again experience. There's a whole realms of theological study regarding the mystery of salvation because it is something worthy to be pondered and meditated on. The mystery of God by his spirit wooing human hearts to himself. It's our, it's, it's our need. We need to be born again. That's something that, um, something I don't fully understand. I know in my own life, in my own walk with the Lord, after I had my own encounters with, well, I grew up in a church environment, second generation believer, second generation Christian. Uh, so I grew up in a Christian environment. But having encountered the Lord at a, at a young age, I don't know that I could put words to it as to the difference in my life 
prior to my encounter with the Lord, prior to me having my own experience with the Lord. I'd received much from my parents, so much. I learned so much from them. I learned from listening and, and watching. But all of that pales in comparison to what I received directly from the Lord in my own encounter with him. What I received after what I believe was my born again experience. So whether that happens in one single moment or whether that happens over time, I'll leave that to the theologians. But I just know that we need to receive from the Lord himself. We need to be born again. We need to have our own experience with God. It's only brought about by the spirit of God. And if it's not by the spirit of God, we are, we are, uh, we have the potential to fall into that camp that John is warning against of being one who is a liar, one who is deceived. So we need to understand the fact that Christianity is more, it's more than just what we claim about ourselves. It's more than just an affiliation that we claim about ourselves. If it's not by the Spirit of God. The reality is I can't convince you of your salvation. That's only something brought about by the Spirit of God himself. I can claim all sorts of affirmations of what I believe the Lord speaks over your life through scripture, what I believe is his will and his plan for your life because of convictions I've experienced in scripture. But no other human, no human being, no, there's no mediator between God and man except for Jesus Christ himself. And so there is no assurance of salvation that anybody can give you other than that, that witness that comes from Holy Spirit himself. So you need to be born of God. We need to be born of God. Secondly is this. We need to understand that one role of the Spirit, one primary role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus. The Holy Spirit has many roles that he plays in our life, everyday life, not just Sunday morning when he rushes into this room and, and rejuvenates all of our souls, but Monday through Saturday as well. Holy Spirit is given to us and it is God's great delight to send his Spirit into our daily lives to empower us and to equip us, to counsel us, to comfort us. He is there with us if we begin to acknowledge him and live life with him. It's the grand, it's the grand adventure of living life for Jesus is life with the Spirit, amen? But one of the primary roles of Holy Spirit in our life is specifically to reveal Jesus. And there is this beautiful mystery in the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we see right here in 1 John. Look at verse, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. So God has sent his spirit to live life amongst us, quickening our hearts, giving us spiritual vision to see things rightly, to see ourselves rightly in light of a holy God, so to actually have the posture of humility to receive him and his free gift. And the spirit of God has a role in revealing the son and his, uh, his role as the, as the only answer, as the only one who can usher us in to right standing with who? The father. 
And Jesus, we know, reveals perfectly the Father. So there's, there's this beautiful revealing of um, the multifaceted aspects of God uh, brought to us by the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit reveals Jesus. Jesus reveals the perfect character of the Father. The Father has no problem deferring the, the life-on-life experience with humanity to the Spirit. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And so one of the primary roles of Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus to us continually. And this is a need that we have continually throughout our lives. So let's turn again to John's words in his gospel in John 16 to see that this is what he said as well in his gospel, in his account of Jesus' life. You know, these, these letters in red are what inform John's letter here in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. It's the letters in red, the, the, the moments that he had with, with the Savior, with Jesus. It's what he meditated on day and night. It was his food. It was the precious words of Christ. So the Gospel of John, chapter 16 Verse 12, there's so much that he says about the spirit of God, but this is what he says. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all all the truth. Does that sound very similar to what we've been reading in 1 John? He calls him the spirit of truth in his letter here, 1 John as well. This term of endearment for Holy Spirit himself, the spirit of truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. This is Jesus speaking. So Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we will live this life dependent on the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God uh, revealing to us the person of Jesus day by day. Therefore, the Spirit of God is not optional for the Christian life. There are some who try to intellectualize the gospel. It just becomes a matter of what they can reason and figure out. But I will tell you that is not Christianity. I've had conversations with some people who know the Bible better than I do. But there is, there's, not a, there's not fruit there. There's not substance of gospel transformation that has, that's revolutionized their lives. They need the Spirit of God. And J- Jesus calls that out as well in the Gospel of John when he, when he calls out the religious leaders for knowing Scripture but not knowing the one of Scripture, the, 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 the person that all Scripture points to, which is he himself, Jesus We need the Spirit of God. And specifically, we need the Spirit of God to reveal Jesus. Christianity is a reality of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that reveals Jesus to us. It's the Spirit of God that reveals how beautiful Jesus is. In light of him, that's how we realized our need for him in the very first place. You only came to God in the first place because the Spirit of God revealed your condition before the Lord. Otherwise, left to ourselves, we are pridefully 
stubbornly independent. We think we can save ourselves. We can think we can do it on our own. We think we can, we can clean ourselves up and, and live this life on our own until the Spirit of God comes and softens our hearts. Until this, the Spirit of God comes and reveals our true condition and reveals and honestly just gives us a grace to be honest with ourselves of who we truly are when no one else is looking and how desperately we need the grace of God. That's all by the Spirit of God. It's the mystery of the Spirit of God blowing in, as he said in John chapter three, where the wind blows upon our hearts and we see our need for the Lord. It's by the Spirit of God that we see Jesus, the ultimate definition of love. Look at verse nine. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. First John chapter four, verse nine. I'm just making Abigail work so hard this morning. So, First John chapter 4, verse 9, you're amazing. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Think of all the countless people who've rejected the coming of Christ himself and the giving of his life on the cross. Paul said that for those that are perishing, they see the cross as foolishness. But to those that are being saved, it's the power of God. And in that same passage, he says that's because of the Spirit of God. The only difference between those who reject it as foolishness and those who realize it as the very power of God for their lives, for salvation, it's the Spirit of God. It's but by the Spirit of God. It's because the Spirit of God has lifted the veil from our eyes to see that the Son of God was made manifest. That he came into the world And now that is the standard of love. And so that leads us to our third truth. And I said I'd be short this morning, so. We need to depend on the Spirit of God continually. So first was we need to be born of God. Second is we need to understand that one of the primary roles of the Spirit is to reveal Jesus. And third is we need to live continually dependent on the Spirit of God. This is our exciting invitation This is the invitation that John gives us here in 1 John, and he's referencing again the Gospel of John, his account of of the life of Jesus, when he uses the language of abiding in God. That's done by the Spirit of God. That's done by us living life with the Spirit of God. Understanding that this Christian life was not meant to be lived like an orphan, independent, like we, we came to God because, by the Spirit of God because of the Spirit of God and then we try to live independently of him. No, we're meant to live life continually dependent on the Spirit of God, abiding in his love. Verse 16, so we have come to know God and to believe the love that God has for us, which is by the Spirit of God. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. He's referencing what he taught in John 16. Again, regarding, or John 15, in regards to uh, the life of abiding with the Lord. This is done only by the Spirit of God. Verse 13 says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. This is now our life with the Lord. Jesus, this, this is the answer in our life. Jesus 
being revealed in our life by the Spirit of God. Jesus being revealed to us by the Spirit of God continually. I'm going to invite uh, Hannah forward to come to the keys. So think of this. So in, in maybe in your married life or in your, your life in your household, if you're deficient in love towards your spouse or towards your kids or towards your roommate, what's the answer? Well, yeah, you can just be nicer. That's really helpful and just be kind. Those are good things. But at the core of what we need is we need the spirit of God to reveal the person of Jesus so that we can love that person better, so we can love our spouse with a true, genuine humility as an outflow of what we've received from the Lord. Those that have been loved much, have been received much, can love much. Those who have been forgiven much can then forgive and love others much. So if we're deficient in our love towards our kids, what do we need? We need the Spirit of God to reveal Jesus to us. We begin to see them differently. We begin to see them. It's honestly not too different than the way we were when we were their age. And we have a, we have a supernatural patience and we, the Spirit of God reveals the patience of Jesus, reveals to us this tenderness that Jesus had himself. When we recognize hypocrisy in us or religious games, what's the answer? The answer isn't more information, another YouTube video, another, another sermon. No, the, the answer is the Spirit of God revealing the person of Jesus. So our hearts fall in love with him. That's what sets us free from hypocrisy and religious games. It's love for the Lord. When we're betrayed by friends or we're criticized or we're mocked, you know, what do we need? Well, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the person of Jesus once again. Because all of a sudden what floods our hearts is this tender intimacy with the Lord himself because he experienced betrayal and mockery and was criticized continually. He was betrayed by his closest friends. And all of a sudden, we have this tremendous grace to, to walk through anything that comes our way. That's what's needed is Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us. When we have enemies that are coming against us, what do we need? Well, we need the Spirit of God to reveal Jesus. The one who came to the ones that he created, but yet was not recognized, was rejected. When we feel all alone, what do we need? We need the Spirit of God to come and reveal Jesus to us. The one who not only knew loneliness, but gives us the cure for loneliness. That's what we need. We need the Spirit of God. That is our continual dependent need. And to me, it's an exciting invitation. Would you all stand in this place? I just want to end. There's many different passages I wanted to end with, but I'm going to... Stick it here. So next week I will share more about the love of God since that's, that's the climax of that 
or the primary focus of that passage, but I felt like in order for us to receive rightly teaching on the love of God, we need to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in that. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the role of the Spirit of God in our lives. It was at the beginning when he lifted the veil initially, and it's our continual need. From glory to glory, the Spirit of God continually lifts layers of the veil from our eyes to see the Lord for ourselves. And that's what transforms us. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.